Welcome to Allied, the podcast for everything you need to know about web and video accessibility. I'm your host, Elisa Lewis, and I sit down with an accessibility expert each month to learn about their work. Every episode has a transcript published with it, which can be viewed by accessing the episode on the 3Play Media website. If you like what you hear on Allied, please subscribe or leave a review. Allied is brought to you by 3Play Media, your video accessibility partner. Visit us at www.3playmedia.com to learn why thousands of customers trust us to make their video and media accessible. At the end of every year, 3Play Media co-founders and co-CEOs Josh Miller and Chris Antunes propose media accessibility predictions for the year ahead. This year, I'm excited to chat with them both about their predictions for 2023. We'll talk about trends from this last year and where the future of media accessibility is headed. Our conversation today will revolve around five main predictions. First, audio description will become a media accessibility given rather than an afterthought. Second, end users' voices will be heard and studio quality captioning will continue to be the standard for high-end content. Third, despite the hype around OpenAI, it will not change the media accessibility landscape much in 2023. Fourth, Media accessibility will continue to become an even higher priority globally. And the last and fifth prediction is that despite the challenging economic environment, the world's largest companies will continue to set a high bar for accessibility and inclusion. Welcome, Chris and Josh. Thank you so much for joining me on Allied today. Before we dive into the predictions, I'd like our audience to get to know you both a bit better. Can you each share something about yourself that's not in your professional bio? Josh, you want to start? <laughs> um, There's so many things, right? But yeah. it's like, which direction do you want to take it in? Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll go with the more lighthearted one, which is uh, thanks to my boys, uh, I am learning how to ski. Uh, and never having grown up in the Northeast, I almost feel guilty to say I like, don't really know how to ski. Uh, but uh, we are learning. Uh, they are flying by us, um, and it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. So this is a this was a hot topic for debate uh, this year as we were sending out our family uh, Christmas cards or holiday cards every year. Uh, and we, my my wife asked me which of the two facts I wanted to the following facts I wanted to share widely, and one and one was. You know, I, I uh, ran my first marathon this past fall, and um, I'm in my in my forties now, so a master, and 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 ran um, a two twenty eight marathon, which I'm very proud of. Uh, and the second was uh, I survived coaching my five year old's softball team. Um, so those are both two fun facts, but uh, we shared the softball fact because I think it's even more impressive. Awesome, love it. Um, great to have have these hobbies, and especially something to get you through the the Boston winter, Josh. Cool. So, so diving into the real topics for today, um, I want to start the conversation around audio description. Um, what has audio description looked like in the past um, from a service provider perspective? Yeah. So, if we think about it again, starting from the service provider's perspective, um, you know, take it back 
even five to 10 years into the past before, you know, we had three play really got focused on it. Um, it starts with script writing, right? So you have to write a script that describes what's happening in a scene. Um, that's a time consuming process. You have to write the scripts in a very succinct manner in the space between um, where there are silences, you know, in the dialogue or breaks in the dialogue. And then you take the script and you hand it to a narrator, um, professional narrator who sits in the studio and records themselves um, describing the scene based on that script. And then you have to go back to the studio to professionally mix that track into the original source audio. And then if you have to make an edit, start over, go back and modify the script and then narrate and then mix. And if you have to make another edit and round and round we go. So this led to a really expensive, time consuming, frankly, hard to scale process. Um, and even more challenging if all of a sudden um, let's say a, a content provider needed a backlog, needed thousands of hours of description. All that thing I just described, now a service provider might need to find 100 more script writers or 10 more or 50 more uh, in, in 10, 50, 100 more narrators and, and the same for mixing, right? So really hard problem to scale economically. And I'm curious, you know, we, we've seen kind of over, over the year um, or years, this, this shift. Can you talk a little bit about companies' inclination um, to previously kind of view audio description as an afterthought rather than an integral, integral um, accessibility service, like maybe they've thought of captioning? Um, and where do you think this comes from? And, and how can we kind of make it a little bit more seamless to companies and video creators alike? Yeah, no, it's an important question. And I think it ties directly back um, to, to what I just described from the service provider perspective. Um, it's expensive, right? So you start there. Um, and when the, when the content producers are thinking about whether or not to describe, it's really a value cost trade-off, right? So with captioning, same idea. It's a value cost trade-off. And on the, on the value side, obviously they're thinking about this as as an accommodation, um, you know, for the deaf, for the hard of hearing, but also, you know, and Josh, um, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about this this year is um, the majority of people now have captions on all the time. So there's very clear ROI and very clear value um, to the whole community when you, when you, when you produce captions, um, not to mention search and other things that can come along with the text you produce. The value side of the equation has been less clear historically in audio description, clear as an accommodation to blind low vision, but less clear to the general population. Um, and then on the cost side, um, the, the uh, sort of convoluted process I described um, used by a lot of the sort of um, you know, historical service providers, um, expensive and hard to scale, so very costly. So to see, I think, um, audio description um, at the same level as captioning in the you know, in, in all in all video, not just media and entertainment, you're going to see need to see more value and lower costs. Yeah, um, I, I think just building on the, the for all of those reasons, the cost, the the value, it, it translates into actually there being less audio description in the world, and therefore less awareness by the people consuming the content. So I think at this point, people generally know what captions are there's still a lot of people who don't even know what audio description is. And so when you have enough people who know what captions are, consume captions, they demand captions, that kind of general demand trend hasn't come with audio description the same way. Um, it's starting to happen, but it's not anywhere near what the captioning world looks like just because of the lack of awareness and the, the idea to know to want audio description for any reason. 
Yeah, and on the cost side, I mean, this is improving, right? Um, synthesized audio or uh, you know, voice narration, uh, much more economical. Um, video platforms are, are offering more native integration. So it's simpler, less complicated to add audio description to your, to your content um, and scale. So um, you know, on the three-play marketplace, we have hundreds of describers, right? Trained, high quality trained to reduce script writing, which means that you know, a backlog of 100,000 videos in, a, in an e-commerce or corporate setting is, is doable now. And it frankly kind of wasn't historically. So for all those reasons, the cost is coming down. And on the value side, we're starting to see use cases pop up where, you know, their descriptions are, are really, you know, valuable generally. Um, things like um, if you're away from the screen for a little while um, in another room, um, you know, doing something or cooking or whatever it is, you can still follow along what's happening in a show by putting the description on. Um, things like that. Yeah, I think you you brought up a really interesting point, um, thinking about how common captioning is um, and how that exposure kind of really helps to make the value so clear. So, you know, we see captions on everything now. It's not just reserved for sort of big feature films, but we see it on social media, on Zoom and virtual meetings with Google Meets, things like that. It's on it, at you know, on the TVs and, and bars. Um, but it's a lot bigger and a, a lot more difficult process to, to get audio description. So we don't see it. It's not as commonplace. And I think that kind of, um, you know, makes it feel a little bit more removed from, from people as well. And I think it's, it's uh, when we talk about awareness, there's, it's awareness at two levels, right? So I think, um, you know, you're probably thinking first of the end users, right? Do, are people aware of this when um, you know they're consuming their streaming platforms or, or on the web, generally watching video, but it's also true at the content production level, right? Organizationally, everyone is thinking about captions; they're so commonplace. But often, you know, you're not thinking about description at all um, in some of these organizations until a, a lawsuit shows up. Honestly, um, and as this stuff gets more into the consciousness, I think that changes at both levels. There are a lot of proposed rulemaking in process, um, the CBTA, for instance, as well as potential updates to the ADA. Regardless of, of whether some of these pass, I'm curious what you see the impact um, you know, being for audio description, regardless of, of the outcome of these proposals. Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. There's, there's a lot to unpack there. So um, yeah, in the CBTA specifically, or the proposal specifically as it relates to AD, there's a lot of expansion, like you alluded to there, both in 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 um, sort of requirements to to have more content out there described, um, but also clarifications around standards, and and I think important in our world, clarific or promising clarifications around when synthesized voice specifically will be permissible. Um, I think that's an important point because I think uh, to really get scale, that has to be a part of the solution. Right, um, and, and to get the cost down at, at some level, not for all content, certainly, but for some of it, that has to be part of the solution. So I think that clarification will be helpful. But you know, does this pass or not? You know, we don't have the crystal ball. I think it's hard to predict. Um, but I think getting the dialogue started, and even in our pros, pro, you know, our prospecting or in conversations with our customers, where we really think of ourselves as a partner and helping them solve their video accessibility challenges, we can point to this, and it's a reference point that they can start to understand and educate themselves around audio description and, and captioning standards too. Um, and so it starts the conversation and I think it builds good momentum. 
obviously we hope, um, you know, that this will pass and that they'll, you know, bring clarity and, but, but I think either way, the dialogue starting is a good, is a good, is a good start. I think what Chris said just now is so critical. That's such a big part of why we want this to take place. Isn't so much like it's good for us to have more legislation in play. It's actually clarity. It's this idea that it is very, it'll be much more clearly defined what is required, when it's required, it, it, that makes the conversation so much easier. And I think that is part of the, the challenge we have right now is a, a pretty significant amount of confusion as to what is required when, right? Especially for a lot of organizations who are not accessibility or who don't have accessibility experts on staff, you know, they're, they're, not, they're, they're not doing or they're not avoiding things because they're, they don't want to be accessible. It's because they don't know. They don't actually have the expertise to say this is what we have to do. So I think that's where a lot of organizations get hung up in, in some of these lawsuits. It's not because they were trying to avoid it necessarily. It's because they just didn't know any better. And like that's unfortunate. So I do think you know the one of the benefits of, of this legislation is it actually makes it more clear to people what the requirements are and, and how to be accessible. And I think we're seeing it in the corporate space too, and just how you know, the way technology is used evolves so much and how video is being used more and more. It's kind of forcing the conversation as more and more companies want to make accessibility part of their corporate policies. It's forcing, you know, this, this, uh, this conversation even further along. Uh, and, and so we see it, you know, e-commerce and retail is such a great example of how they, people are selling with video now. Right. So how do you know if you're blind or low vision and you want to understand what this product actually looks like and can do um, and kind of how it's formed, for example, or what the colors are, someone's got to describe that. There's no other way because, you know, it, it used to be all images. Now we're getting demo videos uh, with every with every product. Yeah, I think the clarity point, I don't want to skip ahead. I'm sure given the what's in the news these days, we'll talk about technology and automation and you know, AI and all that at some point. But but I think the clarity point, Josh said, is so important because in a in a macroeconomic climate like we have, you know, budgets are constrained and people are making choices about, you know, when to use technology and how to use it wisely and and when to use uh, you know, the 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 perfect, you know, most expensive thing and when to use the the slightly cheaper, maybe slightly lower quality thing in context is key, right? Context and clarity is really what's going to guide those discussions. It's not binary. It's all circumstantial, and I think um, you know uh, proposals like what's what are in the CBTA help clarify. Um, and before we kind of get into the the tech and AI stuff, I I do want to talk a little bit about captioning first, um, and kind of the some of the trends that we're seeing, particularly around um, end users and and their involvement in captioning. Um, can you talk a little bit about where where you've seen this over the last year and kind of where you see, um, you know, the end user being involved in captioning and, and creating standards and trends um, moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think we started to allude to it just now in the, in the idea that captions are so widely being used, right? They're pervasive, which is a good thing. And it's, you know, there's plenty of data now showing that the vast majority of caption users are not using it because of an accommodation or because that is the only way they can consume the content. It's, it's a choice. Um, and so that awareness, that choice, that demand is, is kind of creating a, a very different conversation around captions. Um, and so I think there are two pieces to it. One is just the, like, is demand, right? Is the expectation 
that captions will be available for any piece of content. And I think that is, you know, that is driven by the end user. You know, to me that it feels like the, I want my MTV campaign, right? It's like, it should be there as, as an end user, I want it, so give it to me. Um, then there's the whole kind of, what should captions look like? And this conversation around the styling of captions, the quality of captions, the like what is included, what is not included in captions. Um, and again, kind of to, to Chris's point before, the context. The context is so important when it comes to captions. Um, and we, you know, we saw this with the Stranger Things uh, example a few months ago uh, on Netflix, where you know there was some freedom given to the captioner who really you know took it to another level with descriptors that you don't normally see in captions. Um, and it was, you know, in, you, you could argue that it was spectacular, but you could also argue it was distracting. And it kind of you know, depends on where do you fall on the spectrum. But there is something going on now with content everywhere um, and people using captions everywhere. You know, how, how do captions play a role in the consumption of that content? And I think about the, the, the example is we have captions on in the house all the time. Um, you know, part of it is there's also data that shows it helps with reading comprehension and, you know, in children and, and, and such. Um, but we also, we don't want the volume up very high. So we have captions on or whatever it may be. Um, comedy for us in our house is a great example where we have a debate. Do we want the captions on or not? Right. Because as hearing people, we can hear what the comedian's gonna say, but the captions sometimes come in a little early or they might ruin the punchline or they don't convey the tone that the comedian is delivering that punchline in. Um, and it really changes the, the way you consume that content. So I, I do think end users are, you know, like it or not being given a voice in how captions get created, when they're created um, and the standard that the producers are being held to, the publishers. Uh, which I think overall is a good thing. Um, and I think because of the added awareness, there's also, you know, much more attention given to the quality of captions. Yeah. And if you think about, you know, an environment now where a decade ago, you know, 10% of people might have had their captions on, right? Um, and now probably 80 or 90% do in a lot of cases. Uh, I think there's data on Netflix that says about 85% of people consume with with, with captions on that that's that when the when the data shifts in that way, it circles back to the content provider, and they have to really think hard about how the captions or the descriptions might impact their art, right? Um, if song lyrics are transcribed, now the lyrics that you can now read and and maybe uh, come to the come to the forefront much more clearly, um, you know, you really get the point across a lot more clearly why you chose a lyric or why you chose a song, um, or a captioner has to make a decision about you know, uh, off-screen text and if they label a speaker in a certain way that maybe hasn't been revealed yet from the plot perspective, um, you know, they're, it's really, you know, tethered to the art in a way. Um, you know, it always was, but when when the majority of people are now consuming the content with that on, it's front and center. I think one of the things that's so interesting is, is you know, and credit to the media companies who've done a really nice job making sure captions are available and, and often good captions are available on their content, you know, all the OTT players, the streamers, you know, have done a really nice job of, of kind of getting up the curve on that front. It's created habits, right? So now you, if you start to consume all your media that way, 
you get used to it. And so now even in other settings, you're starting to put captions on. Even if you're in a, if you're in a meeting, you're putting captions on Zoom because it's so easy, right? The, the pervasiveness and the ease of, of accessing the captions makes it easier for it to become just you know, a, a part of your process in consuming content, no matter what type of content it is too. Um, and so that, that expectation level for, for the media content is one thing, it's starting to spread into other mediums where you're consuming, you know, corporate content or product content, whatever it may be. And now there's an expectation all over the place. It's not just a television show or a film. It's literally every video that people expect to be able to use captions if, if they want to. I'm wondering, we had a, a company meeting here last week and we asked the room to raise their hands if you use captions frequently. And I, I think everyone raised their hands, right? Like if you asked that question to Chris's point a couple of years ago, it'd be half that, right? And it's just it, the the availability has made such a big difference. And now with that availability, there becomes more scrutiny too. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, it's interesting because we're having this conversation about end users, but to your point, the end users of captions today are a lot different than what it was several years ago. Several years ago, we were really primarily talking about deaf and hard of hearing viewers, which of course, you know, we are still a big part of, of the um, end user experience today. Um, but there are so many different contexts, so many different uses and benefits. Um, so we're really thinking kind of about all, all of those individuals. Yeah, it's hundred percent true. We used to say, I mean, really quickly, we used to say, 10 years ago, when we were talking to our customers about evaluating the quality of captions, the first thing I always said is shut the sound off, right? If we're talking about alignment of the words to the, all this stuff, turn the sound off and then see. And that's still critical. And we still do that. And it's important to do that and think about that primary audience. But now the captions on with the sound on is, is relevant, much more so than it was, you know, a decade ago. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious, you know, kind of, in this innately creative space, you, you talked a little bit about Stranger Things and, and some of the sort of creative liberties that were taken there. How do we balance that creativity and that accessibility, keeping in mind that, yes, the deaf and hard of hearing individuals are still a, a primary audience and use case for captioning? Um, how, do, how do you kind of see that, um, you know, balance being struck and, and um, how, how do we make sure we're able to accommodate both of those things? I think it starts with getting feedback right? and getting feedback from the users and making sure that the, the population that is being you know, included in that conversation really is representative, right? And, and maybe even more weighted towards the people who truly need it, right? So start there, right? Why do we have captions in the first place? Well, it's because we need to be able to enable people to consume the content. So first and foremost, let's make sure that they are having a good experience. Then I think we can expand, you know, kind of extend beyond that because now so many people are using the captions to say, okay, what makes for a good experience when you're putting captions on? But I, I think it, it's all about feedback. And I think that's something that has been often overlooked, uh, quite honestly, in some of the process, especially as we talk, get into the, you know, the conversation around AI and, and what role automation plays. Um, you know, what, what is good enough and seemingly good for a hearing person, which is often the person making the decision, might not make sense for the people who are actually consuming it and needing it. So um, I, I think feedback is, is the number one thing we can do and, and there just needs to be more of it. And, and I think one of the nice things about social media in this case is that it is easy to start the conversation, right? So the, the pervasiveness of this type of content is so many people see it, 
so many people talk about it. Well, let's figure out who's weighing in in a, in a productive way and, and uh, get more of that and find other forums to enable those types of conversations. Absolutely. It all kind of goes back to nothing about us without us. And I think that that's really critical and, and um, you know, how we continue to uh, create guidelines and, and, and change in um, our technology. Um, I do want to talk about um, some other technology that we've been hearing and, and seeing a lot um, about, and that's um, open AI. There's a lot of hype around it. Um, I would love to hear from you kind of clarify what is open AI? Um, why, why are we talking about it in the accessibility space and what is, what is the potential impact? Yeah. So uh, it's a great question. It's in the news uh, all of the time now, and certainly a, a hot topic at three play. Um, so I'll start with some quick definitions, you know, open AI us based uh, deep learning company founded in 2015. They were a nonprofit originally. Now they're a capped profit company. Next term you'll hear a lot is GPT-3 or GPT-3.5. Um, this is a large language model. So think like trained on billions and billions of words, um, you know, all basically data from the, from the web, any text-based data you can find out there, it's trained on, you know, that's, and then there's a product, ChatGPT, that is a chat bot that um, was released, uh, you know, towards the end of 2022, uh, built on top of the GPT-3 framework. I mean, it's really chat GPT that's been in the news most often um, because it's got a really slick UI and anyone can go in and use it. And I'll circle back to that, uh, talking about uh, why the hype. But uh, the final thing I'll define is Whisper. So Whisper is uh, OpenAI's GPT-3 based um, automatic speech recognition engine. So when we think about um, how all of this starting with OpenAI could impact the media accessibility landscape. When we think about captions, it's really Whisper, uh, which we're talking about and whether or not that can, can change the game in some way um, from, a, from a captioning perspective. And so I think the jury's out on that. We have uh, our state of ASR report that we publish every, every year and we're actively working on it. Our data science team is working on it right now to evaluate Whisper alongside you know, IBM, Microsoft, Google, Speechmatics, all of the other engines out there. So we'll see. Um, I think early evidence suggests that Whisper is probably not quite at that level yet, um, but but solid. Uh, but again, we'll see when we get the full results. Um, in terms of why all the hype, well, deep learning has been around since the 1940s <laughs> and OpenAI has been around since 2015. And the T in GPT stands for transformer. And that type of type of model was actually invented by Google, but um, has been around since 2017. Um, so why five years later, six years later, are we now talking about this? Well, I mentioned chat GPT and really, really great UI, UX. And by sort of productizing that and opening it up, we're seeing a ton of experimentation with it. Anyone can use it. You don't need to be an engineer to use it out of the box. You can log in, start asking it questions and it, and it's, it, it, can, it answers them um, impressively in a lot of cases. And so we're really seeing um, this sort of virtuous cycle here, I think, which is a little bit of hype followed by a ton of experimentation and then more hype because the experimentation reveals really interesting use cases, which leads to more funding and leads to more <laughs> experimentation and then more hype. And so it's really democratizing um, the ability to experiment with these deep learning models in a prompt response sort of fashion, that's been the big breakthrough, not the underlying technology from my perspective, just the 
how open it is and how available it is. And everyone's thinking about use cases. So how do we think it will affect the media accessibility space? I think in 2023, not a lot. Again, we'll see. Uh, speech recognition is a really important part of what 3Play does. So you know, we're really open-minded here, but we expect it not to replace the, 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 the engines that are, you know, been studying these problems for a decade plus and, and um, are state of the art right now. Um, so we'll see. It will definitely impact in other ways. Um, you know, there are, you know, whether it's video search, classification, topic extraction, sentiment analysis, summarization, there are a lot of NLP related text-based um, you know, activities where I think we may see some real uh, you know, leaps forward there. Um, and at 3Play, even though we might not expect it to you know, impact speech recognition, core part of our business fundamentally, we're still looking at it just like all companies are to see how we can make certain processes more efficient internally, how we can extract insights from you know, data sets that we have uh, more systematically. So it's it's definitely um, you know something we're investing in, and I know the whole tech community is looking at closely. Yeah, so it's it sounds like you know other than just the captioning use case, and and like you said, you know we've seen speech recognition improving, and um, you know being a, a big topic for years already, um, and it, it has not you know really gotten to the point um, where it's okay by itself for the captioning use case. But definitely there are a lot of other interesting use cases you know that we can see. Um, potential for across accessibility kind of outside of, of the media and, and video space. Absolutely. I think going back to the conversation about standards and, and, let, and kind of rulemaking, again, this is a, a scenario where understanding what is and is not acceptable and being more clear about the settings where automation can perform well I think we'll go a long way. I think there's, you know, there's this dream that it, you know, better, faster, cheaper will come into play here. And, you know, speech recognition is, is uh, certainly cheaper and faster uh, to be determined if it can be better. Uh, but I think that's the, you know, that that's where we need to provide more clarity to the publishers because, you know, there's, everyone wants it to be cheaper. And this obviously is magnitudes less expensive than, than the norm. Um, so when, when is it appropriate? When is it not this, and this also touches on the end user feedback as well, right? So if it's live, a live event with a very clear speaker, maybe it does work pretty well. Uh, but if it's almost anything else, uh, it, it's a different, it's a different measuring stick. Yeah, that's a great point. I was responding, you know, pretty directly to the open AI part of this because they're in the news so much. Um, and really, in our domain, OpenAI is unlikely to be the best solution this year. But to your point, Elisa, like speech recognition is getting better and better. And, and especially in an economic climate like now, with more content than ever, it's all about context. It's all about when. It's not binary. There are circumstances. And Josh, that live one is a great example of it where it makes a lot of sense. So we're definitely having conversations like that about, you know, deep in our backlog for content that doesn't get a lot of views is it is it practical to use or you know very specific types of content where you've done very specific training and tuning in the model potentially it's it, it's useful without cleanup um, but it's all in the context 
Yeah, I think I think that makes a lot of sense, like using it as a tool, not as a full on solution or a replacement to humans, um, but using it as, as a tool to assist with things or kind of get a starting point or, um, you know, whatever the case may be. There, there are definitely lots of different uses. I mean, we're we're seeing that and we're starting to hear about it in across all industries, even, you know, in marketing, you know, you don't want it to write your whole blog post, but can it help build an outline or, um, you know, an opening sentence or something like that? Um, and I think that's exactly the way that we need to be thinking about it in the accessibility space as well as um, it's a tool. It's not, it's not an answer. Yeah. And if you think about, you know, even outside of video, if you think about the podcast market where there are just an so many, so many hours, order of magnitude, more hours of currently untranscribed inaccessible content. You start to ask those questions like, okay, there where it's just not economical or scalable to think about professional captioning for everything with all that content that's produced. Well, you know, maybe for some of it, not the high visibility stuff, but for some of it, you know, well-trained on that specific podcast host's voice, you, you can probably see some real, some real gains there. Another thing that we've we've really seen a lot um, over the past several years, probably kind of uh, more rapidly since the beginning of COVID, is this idea of of globalization. Um, and I'm curious to to hear from you both how this impacts um, you know accessibility, media accessibility in a continually um, in an increasingly global world. Um, you know, we're thinking about localization and, and how we reach a wider audience and, and make sure that content is accessible um, to a wider audience. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, how media accessibility um, from a global perspective has been prioritized? Yeah, I think, I think there are kind of two pieces to it too. One is just in the enterprise, right? Globalization. And from that perspective, I think is something we've talked about for a long, long time and kind of what does that look like? And now with new technology, new tools, people don't have to travel to be global. You know, so how do you make sure that that communication is accessible is, is something and in multiple languages quite often uh, is, is one piece of it. But the media industry is fascinating because you know, every network now has its own streaming, you know, OTT offering. There's all the, obviously the big aggregators, the big streamers, the Netflix and, and Amazon and Hulu and such. And they're all finding ways to go global, partly because of the competition just in North America has gotten so fierce. Um, and so naturally, just like business, you know, the globalization play is, is the way to actually grow. Uh, and so to do that, you have to think about, okay, if I'm going to deliver content to the Netherlands, I need to make sure it can be consumed in the Netherlands. Um, the, you know, the more obvious way to do that is to add subtitles. And then the more advanced way to do that is to dub uh, and add, add, you know, native, you know, kind of localized dubbing to, to each track. It, it gets very expensive to do that. So again, going back to even the, the AI conversation, are there better ways to offer dubbing and we see some really interesting companies doing some cool stuff there uh, but even even other countries coming you know delivering into the US I mean it's just going in both directions now with the ease of delivering across oceans um, you know the only way to do that is to actually you know localize the content one way or another so that that conversation has picked up tremendously in the last couple of years and, and COVID probably accelerated that we were all home watching probably more content than, than many should have. Yeah. And I think here um, in, in, in this segment, you know, sort of distinct from the audio description conversation we had earlier, are, 
ROI is pretty clear and, and, and easy to test, right? If, if one of these, um, you know, and I know that there's just, there's some strict guidelines where it's not even a, in the content producer doesn't even have the choice in some of the cases with the streaming platforms that they just have to provide dubbing or subtitling in, in different languages if they're going to be on platform. But in cases where that's not true, so, you know, and you're just trying to measure reach, you know, we've talked to platforms and producers, content producers who are running experiments to say, you know, should I, you know, tr either translate subtitle or dub in this region, and then they can run a small test and see what that does to viewership. And then, you know, try a different region and see, and then try for a subset of their content and then more content. So again, the ROI in this stuff is pretty clear. Um, if more people access your content, um, whether the model is advertising or something else, um, it's easy to measure. So it makes for a much clearer and cleaner conversation than in some of these area, other areas where, you know, ROI is harder to measure. I think one of the really interesting pieces that's taken place here is that for a long time, we used to talk about really focusing on the countries in terms of where we played, you know, focus on the countries where accessibility laws are in play, because if they aren't, the most companies aren't really paying attention and, and don't feel the need to put captions on. And so we're wasting our time. What's happened with this pervasiveness of global content and the need to subtitle or dub and, and kind of localize the content is that people in, in those regions are getting used to consuming content with subtitles, right? And so now there's this increased demand again from the end users to say, make sure there's subtitles so I can consume the content. And so that's actually had a really interesting effect beyond just media consumption to now make captions and subtitles more commonplace in those regions where they weren't before. And so now conversations are expanding beyond just the media landscape uh, in a way, again, driven by, by end user demand. While we're, we're talking about some of these enterprise trends, um, so to speak, in addition to this global aspect, we're also seeing several other things. Um, obviously, the current um, economic environment has, has been a, a big proponent of a lot of these changes. Um, I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about how this economic um, environment that we're in impacts accessibility um, and kind of what we're seeing, um, you know, what we're seeing, what you're thinking the future looks like, um, you know, as we kind of navigate the, the current climate and, and moving forward. The question that we've been asking ourselves internally is, is accessibility recession proof? Uh, and so far, we've, we've come to the conclusion that the answer is yes, it is, because the idea of starting an accessibility policy or implementing accessibility practices and then saying, you know what, we're going to stop, that just doesn't show well and it's like not, not a great way to win fans. So what we're, we're seeing is actually the opposite. If anything, can companies, especially large enterprise, are leaning into it more. Uh, because they're realizing it has real added benefit to their business. It has real added benefit to their brand. Um, and you know, we've talked about this in, you know, from a SEO perspective, right? Accessible design is better designed for SEO purposes and so many other things. I think people are finally realizing that. And that you know, when, you, when you do design for accessibility, when you do implement for accessibility and inclusion, uh, better outcomes are had, right? And so uh, when big enterprises are, are getting into this and realizing that it has a huge effect downstream as well. And then, you know, smaller businesses are, are recognizing it. 
And just the conversation around accessibility in general is very different from what it was a few years ago. So if anything, we're seeing companies leaning into it more. You know, LinkedIn made a big announcement about increased accessibility features coming soon. Um, we know Salesforce is really invested in accessibility. Microsoft is really invested in accessibility. Google's really invested in accessibility. Like these are the biggest players in technology. Uh, you know, it's it that's it's not going away. Um, so I think that is a huge part of it. The awareness. Um, Apple put out a, a you know, pretty spectacular ad on their accessibility features uh, recently. That's been airing nationwide. Uh, and, and it was completely inclusive, right? It was not just showing the accessibility features, but showing it with people who need the accessibility features, who you know who are disabled in different ways, um, and benefiting from that, and you know highlighting that. And so we're seeing it in a lot of different ways. And, you know, companies like Inclusively, who are helping you know large companies hire people with disabilities. Um, it we're seeing more and more of it, not less and less. I'm curious, what do you think this sort of prioritization, you know, despite uh, economic challenges, means for the future of accessibility um, and inclusion in the workforce, both internally and from a product or external perspective? I mean, it definitely forces us to think really carefully about how to build really good products. It, it forces us to think about the cost side of it, certainly, and, you know, to the point of the recession and, and everything we were talking about before, there is going to be a desire to explore cheaper solutions, right? And that is something we have to think about. And we have to be really ready with the optionality, with the flexibility and the value proposition to say, this is the best for this use case, right? And going back to context again, you know, we, we have to be fully prepared. And I think that's what we strive to do is to be that complete platform that can really address every use case. Uh, and I think that's what's what's really important. And we can't, um, and I think that's that's probably where we see it today is the smaller companies who are just getting started, not having the budget to necessarily dive in right now. Uh, and, and so the, the question then becomes, how can we make it easier? Yeah, I think that's so important. And from, you know, three place position has always been, you know, since we got started, you know, 15 years ago has always been consultative and, and really think of ourselves as accessibility partners to our, our our customers and one of those core principles is future proofing, right? And we've talked for a long time about, you know, when you choose to replay, if your circumstances change, you know, we have the full suite of solutions and we can be a partner to you in that way. And, you know, often we're talking about if you shift switch video platforms or if the legal standards shift, you know, we're there, we're ahead of the curve on that stuff and we can help insulate you and, and transition with you when those things change. But the economic climate's another variable. Right, um, things change. You can't predict what next year will look like financially, um, and so we're always thinking about technology and how to bring costs down and how to work with our customers to find out, you know, to talk about when you know ASR is good enough or when you know maybe a synthesized voice makes sense for AD over narration, which we offer as well. So we we really, again, I think consistent with this future proofing concept, are always thinking about. You know, what do the next 18 months look like for our customers as they work through an economic climate like this? And to Josh's point, the accessibility requirements and I think accessibility position of the companies generally aren't changing. Um, just the tactics of how do we solve it shift just like they would, um, you know, with the other variables changing. And as we wrap up our conversation, 
do either of you have um, sort of last kind of takeaways or um, words of, of wisdom to share with the audience to take into, um, you know, the rest of 2023 around accessibility and, and what we can, can, you know, expect to see? I, I, you know, the risk of being repetitive, I think it's, it's get feedback, right? And, uh, you know, the, the perceived right solution may or may not be the right solution. Uh, the best thing you can do is get feedback from the users. Um, and, and then kind of related to that is, is also, you know, building from the beginning, making it part of the process uh, makes it so much easier. So trying to retrofit later is, is just always going to be much more difficult. Yeah, and I think, you know, these are fun exercises. I really, Elisa, enjoy what's now an annual tradition with you sitting down and, and trying to prognosticate on what the next year will look like, but things change so fast, right? We weren't even talking about ChatGPT three months ago, and now it's in everywhere in the news. And, you know, will the CVTA pass? Like, There's so many moving parts to all this. So we just need to uh, all of us in the in the in the technology communities in the in the media accessibility communities just need to be prepared to respond rapidly to change because so much is changing economically and technologically all the time um, and we try to have our finger on the pulse of it um, and then, you know I think a lot of these um, you know the predictions are sustain are, are enduring but but a lot changes and it changes fast. Definitely. I think, you know, this is certainly an agile community and industry um, and, and kind of expecting the unexpected um, is, is really key and, and just being ready to adapt and uh, move, move quickly. Thank you both so much. Uh, it's exciting to kind of take a look back at, at the last year um, and, and think ahead of what's changed. Um, I'm sure next year when we sit down, we'll, there'll be something new that we haven't even heard of at this point yet. So thank you both for, for joining me and for taking the time to, to make some predictions. Thanks, Lisa. Always fun. Thanks for listening to Allied. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave us a rating and review. To catch all the latest on accessibility, visit www.3playmedia.com backslash allied podcast. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.